Welcome in. This is the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Tyler Donahue. Sean Fitz is away this week. We'll get him back uh, later on for our next episode. And, of course, we had him on earlier with our uh, Monday edition of the podcast. Uh, great conversation with Jaquan Brisker, uh, the newly arrived Penn State defensive back. Would encourage everybody to go check out that episode. We covered a lot of the Julian Fleming conversation there as well. And uh, our message boards on Lions 24-7 have reacted accordingly. So we're going to leave that topic uh, in the Previous podcast for now, we'll, certainly two more weeks to talk of Julian Fleming, his decision coming up on May 31st, the five-star receiver. Uh, but for now, uh, Mark Brennan stepping in to the show with us, our colleague at Lions 24-7 with Fight on State. Been doing this a lot longer than I have in Happy Valley and always happy to have him on. This is the first time Mark has been on uh, Lions 24-7 podcast since the Tommy Stevens transfer news broke. Uh, probably too long going without some Mark Brennan. Uh, Mark, thank you for stepping up doing some pitch hitting this time and i uh, hope we have a fun show it's awesome to be here but i thought we were talking julian fleming come on man <laughs> mark mark trust me you don't want to go down that road at least not yeah at least not right now so i, I saw the <laughs> i saw the boards tyler I I, I I i completely get it we'll have enough time to talk julian fleming uh in the next couple of weeks and and i'm assuming until december so yeah, maybe until 2023. So we'll talk about him much more in the future. But for now, uh, Mark, there are a lot of guys who are already on campus and, and involved with this Penn State football program to focus on on the offensive side of the football. And a new series that, that we have launched now, it, you know, we're into the what I would consider the early stages uh, of kind of the summer offseason feel. I know it's not quite summer yet, especially for the teachers and students out there who are still going to school every day. Uh, but it, we're kind of making that – uh, initial descent down towards August and, and, and what we're going to have with training camp and all that. And there'll be camps on uh, for prospects at Penn State, but this is the time of year where we start, start to really wrap our head around what the 2019 Penn State football team is all about. Important to note here, uh, we are not including in this discussion, which is on the breakout contenders for offense, we're not including the, the true freshmen. So we're talking about guys who have been on campus in the locker room. They may have redshirted, they may not have, but these are guys who are breakouts who have been with the team. We will address the newcomers uh, as this roundtable series continues. The first one up on Lines 24-7 on Thursday morning, Mark, and you put it together. Uh, I'll let you explain how we're doing this because I love the way you have it set up. With a lot of our postseason awards, I think we tended to pick some of the same guys, and, and, that, and that really isn't surprising. Uh, but I'll let you kind of introduce uh, this segment since you know this was kind of your idea and and uh, and I think it's pretty fun. Yeah, in the past we've um, we've done roundtables or as you said postseason awards, and it, it's very difficult sometimes for certain awards or certain roundtables to come up with a variety of players. Um, so so rather than the three of us all picking the, the first one, for instance, is breakout offensive player, and I think just about everybody, if you had to. To, 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 to pick would say Sean Clifford because as as Sean Fitz so aptly describes it for the team to succeed he's really going to have to break out at quarterback but rather than having all three of us talk about Sean Clifford we said okay well we're going to do kind of like a, a draft if, if people could wrap their head around that where one one of us picks first and in this one it was Sean Tyler picks second so he could pick any offensive breakout player except for who Sean picked, and then I pick third. And as we move move ahead, we'll rotate the picking order for different categories so we could have some fun with it. But this way, we get to talk about three different players, 
and maybe as it get as, as it moves on, we'll have some more fun. I think poking some fun at each other about who made what picks. Uh, but for the initial one, we were we were kind of mild with it, and we just really gave a lot of uh, a lot of reasons why we thought the, the particular players uh, had an opportunity to break out. But we have a bunch of different categories that we have lined up for the next few weeks, as you mentioned, Tyler. You know, May is a time when there's not a whole heck of a lot going on. June, you have camps. July, lift for life, more camps, Big Ten media days, and then August you're into camp. So this is a great time to take a, a kind of a, a detailed look forward at the Penn State football team in 2019 and players that, that the, the fans here at Lions 247 with FOS should be keeping an eye on. And by the way, lift for life uh, breaking this week, scheduled for July 12th, uh, Haluba Hall, 17th annual edition of Lift for Life, and obviously raising money awareness uh, for the fight against rare diseases. Uh, one of the great uh, examples of campus community, team community, but also one of our earlier looks uh, at the Penn State player progression. We get an eye on, on some of these guys, how, how they've worked on themselves physically, especially over the course of the offseason. So um, another date to know right there. But Mark, uh we will get into this right now because I think we've set the stage enough. Uh, the offensive breakout player of the year, uh, as Mark said, Sean picked first, and his, he went with another Sean uh, Clifford, the redshirt sophomore, um, stepping into the assumed starting role with Tommy Stevens departing campus. Now, I will be cautious here uh, just to remind everybody that we have not heard from James Franklin, uh, that he has a first-team starting quarterback right now. We haven't had any any definitive declaration. And considering the way we heard him work in Will Levis's name at every chance he could, whenever he went to Sean Clifford's name and talking about that competition, he always worked in Will's name. I think that may be the case at the start of August. We'll see. But I think it would be shocking for everybody out there if Sean Clifford isn't your guy at quarterback August 31st against Idaho and moving on. Um, the breakout pick there is pretty obvious. Uh, curious if you have any any thoughts there, Mark. I mean, we're going to talk a lot about Sean Clifford, getting to know him, You know what makes him tick. I think people understand he's a competitive guy. He's talked about transforming himself as an athlete. Don't want to spend too much time on Clifford here because it's probably the least intriguing of any of these picks, but it's certainly worth noting um, that the quarterback inflection has just completely changed since this team entered spring camp. Yeah, well, James Franklin may not have named him the starter, but I think the the rest of us have. Not that not that our opinion counts, but I think anybody would be shocked if he's not the the guy under center. And that's not a knock on Will Levis, uh, but he's he has yet to play in a game. And Sean Clifford, we talked about this when Tommy Stevens left. You know, one of the the silver linings, and I nobody wished for Tommy Stevens to not be able to practice, but the fact that he didn't practice allowed Sean Clifford to get all those first-team reps in spring ball, and I think that was ju just gigantic for him, a real important thing. And another quick note on, on Sean Clifford, and we learned this yesterday, and I think it speaks to, to what sort of leader he's developed as, and this kind of flew under the radar, but he was named president of the Penn State chapter of Uplifting Athletes, which, run, which runs Lift for Life. And I think there's really something to be said that, okay, here you're looking at a redshirt sophomore. That's a real leadership position within the team, kind of at a different level. It's not like out on the field, but I think that really speaks to uh, how much of a leader he's, all, he's already become, not just on the field, but within the program in general. So to me, yeah, I mean, Sean, uh, Sean made some good points that he was, he's been able to develop, uh, Sean Fitz, that is, a, a, um, a pretty good rapport already with guys like K.J. Hamler and Pat Fryermuth. So even though he's never started a game, I think they're going to be in pretty good shape with Sean Clifford. 
Yeah, so Sean Fitz picks Sean Clifford. That leaves the decision to me. And initially, I was going you know, in the direction of these five-star 2018 prospects. Justin Shorter at receiver, Ricky Slade at running back. They were both considered the top prospect at their pr- respective position with Slade as an all-purpose back. Um, and I, maybe I'll be a dope. I'll look like a dope long-term for this. But I turned my, turned my attention elsewhere from those guys, and I went to the trenches where I think C.J. Thorpe really has a chance to to stake claim as a torchbearer for for maybe a new era of this offensive line for the Nittany Lions. You know, a couple of guys who started 35 games apiece, Ryan Bates, Connor McGovern, are no longer there. You've got a, a fifth-year senior in Steven Gonzalez and some other guys with experience. You've got a left tackle who has a, 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 a redshirt freshman in Rasheed Walker. And, and when I assess this group, I think C.J. Thorpe is the guy I think could really make uh, uh, provide a boost. Uh, you know, we have talked about in the past um, the kind of aggressive uh, mental makeup that he has, a guy who just has serious passion for what he does on the football field. I, I think it spoke volumes to see Penn State staff midseason, uh, you know, days before a huge matchup against Ohio State. It talked a lot about their personnel issues as well, but it talked a lot about their feelings on C.J. Thorpe to turn in the defensive tackle in a situation like that. Uh, it's, I think that notes his aggressiveness. Uh, that gro- that notes his love for the sport because you can't ask everybody to do something like that. And to me, I know he's going to be battling Mike Miranda. I don't want to shortchange Miranda here because I do think that battle is going to go through the summer. I think you could see a rotation in place entering September. Um, to me, though, C.J. Thorpe is the kind of guy you combine a, a physical skill set makeup that made him a top 100 recruit overall coming to campus in 2017 with that aforementioned, uh, you know, wherewithal. Uh, mental, uh, the mental intangibles that he brings. I think that's a combination that I can get behind. And now in his third year on campus, solidly back in the group, you're feeling some buzz. You're sensing some buzz, talking to players and coaches about CJ Thorpe back in that offensive line room. And I think it's going to come through on the football field, uh, his third year here in Penn State. And, and, and to me, would not be surprised if he ends up matching Ryan Bates, Connor McGovern uh, with their third team, all Big Ten honors last year. Quite frankly, I think he could surpass that. Obviously, I'm very high on C.J. Thorpe, and I think you know if that does come to fruition, people are going to be feeling a lot better about this offensive line. But again, uh, they will have a first-year starter at left tackle as well. That's something that will, needs to be addressed. But I wasn't ready to go all in on Rasheed Walker. I think he's going to be a very special, potential uh, top-tier NFL draft prospect two, three years down the line. But for this year, C.J. Thorpe is the guy that I think it, it can be the X factor on the offensive front. I think the other thing, Tyler, that he brings is a dynamic personality and I think that's been lacking with all due respect to the people who have been playing on the offensive line the last couple years if you ever have a chance to talk to CJ boy he's like and he's outgoing he's smart he's funny Uh, he there's just it's kind of he's I don't want to say in your face but it's a, a dynamic personality I think that's the best way to put it so I think when you look at that offensive line from everything we've heard, Michael Medit has really emerged as a leader. And he's the guy who will pull guys aside in practice and that sort of thing. But I don't think he's the rah-rah type of guy. I think when they're in a tough game and they need to to pick up a, a couple of yards, I think C.J. Thorpe is the guy who's going to be in everybody's face saying, hey, we got to go out and get this thing done. So I think that's another aspect of his game that people are going to enjoy you 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 touched on it there's a there's a nastiness to the way he plays and James Frank Franklin has mentioned that but I also think his personality is big 
Yeah, and Franklin has not been shy in, in recent years about you know calling for more nastiness, aggressiveness on the offensive line. He, he views that as as part of the process of pushing this team in, into another realm in terms of college football contention. Um, and CJ Thorpe again, I think is the kind of guy. And I think they're they're adding other guys. This 2020 recruiting class that we've talked a lot about, you know, looking towards the future. A lot of those guys are the kind of bully. Mauler mentality that you look for in the trenches. And if things work out uh, up front for, for C.J. Thorpe and company, your pick at number three, Mark, should have himself a heck of a season. Yeah, and let me let me explain it. To me, I mean, it basically came down to, to Ricky Slade or Justin Shorter. And I don't want to jump ahead of our little rundown here, but uh, I would advise anybody who's listening to this to go check out the Lions Pride message board and some of the outstanding comments from people who are who are saying it's you know I would have gone with uh, with Rasheed Walker or I would have gone with Justin Shorter. I would a ton have of with- Justin Shorters, a lot of Justin Shorters, yeah. and some Daniel Georges as well. But Justin Shorter was the name that stood out, and I knew what I told you on the phone yesterday when we were finishing up this. I said, you know, what's going to strike people the most is that none of us picked Justin Shorter, and of course, about a hundred people did on the message board. Well, before. Uh- before we went on air here, I guess, or whatever it is, podcast, you know, we went into the podcast portal. Um, I, I dr- uh, brought up our online poll, and uh, Sean Clifford was number one with 42% of the vote, and Justin Shorter was number two with 28, Ricky Slade number three with 11.64. But I, I mentioned that, and, and go ahead and vote, people. It's in the story on our front page. I mentioned that because... When I looked at Justin Shorter, I, nobody's been higher on him than I have. I, I think had he not been injured, he would have had a big year last year, and I think he's going to be a guy who is off to the NFL before his eligibility is up. I think he's that good. The reason I didn't go with him or why I picked Slade over him is because Ricky Slade, to me, is going to emerge as the starter. And even if they rotate running backs, I think he's going to get the bulk of the carries. Whereas Justin Shorter... There is going to be a lot. There are going to be a lot of quality receivers out on the field. Two of them already very well established in KJ Hamler and Fryermuth, who we mentioned earlier. Jahan Dotson started four games last year. He's he's a bit of a proven commodity. So there's only so many footballs to go around. I think Justin Short is going to have a big year, but I think Ricky Slade is going to touch the football a lot more and have the opportunity to do. Um, just again get more touches you know the thing that stood out to me about Ricky Slade and when we did this you have to kind of go back and look at stats and and see what he did in games and that sort of thing he he averaged 5.7 yards per carry which was only a tenth of a yard per carry less than Miles Sanders and he didn't have any he had I think two two carries of more than 66 yards now you may say that that reflects poorly on his big playability but i would also say that he didn't pad his yards per carry average with a bunch of big plays against crappy teams that's a solid 5.7 yards per carry and beyond that tyler and i mentioned this in the piece he was thrown for only 5 yards and losses on the entire season i mean that to me when you're talking about somebody who had 45 carries to only lose five yards and score the number of touchdowns that he did, which was six, I mean, that you're looking at a guy who is a tough physical runner. He's not the biggest guy in the world. And I think with more opportunities, you're going to see big playability. From what we heard out of camp, um, 
from what we heard out of spring practice, I'm sorry, he did flash some of that big playability. I think the one key is that he really has to become better as a, as a pass catcher. Uh, young running backs always have to get better and better at, at at run blocking. I think, or at pass blocking. I think he has the ability to do that because even though he's not the biggest guy, he has a good build to him. But he only caught one pass last year, and I think they have to look his way more. And and without giving away details of what we saw in practice, I think it is fair to say that that they were throwing the the pigskin to the running backs, not just Slade. But the, the running backs were catching some passes while we were there. I don't think we're giving away any secrets there. So Ricky Slade's my guy. No, and I actually think some people who you know attended, watched the the blue white game, noted that it seemed like running backs were a bit act, you know more active in that game. Of course, I always caution anyone to take anything too much of substance out of the spring game. Uh, but but there you have it. And I will say, last spring I went down uh, to Woodbridge, Virginia, spent some time with Ricky and his parents in, in their living room, and went over to his high school, C.D. Hilton High School. His coach Tony Lilly played. SEC football was an all SEC defensive back with the Florida Gators. Uh, he played in the Super Bowl in the NFL, and we sat down, talked about Slade. And I can't tell you, you know, you, you know, coaches are going to gush about their guys, but this is a guy who, who, you know, ever since Ricky showed up, you know, to I think his first training camp, first practice of his first training camp uh, in a scrimmage, he went for like an 80 yard touchdown run on his first touch. He was their guy for the next four years, and along the way. Tony Lilly, again, a guy with a very impressive track record in the game, sport of football, says that Ricky Slade became the best receiver on that football team by his junior year. And that, you know, so I think there's a lot to like about his abilities as a receiver. There is a reason that 247 Sports evaluators, you know, labeled him an all purpose back. You know, uh, they put him in that category for a reason. And, and you throw in the fact that, and he was an all state special teams returner as well. There's a lot in his tool bag. And you made a great point. Those five lost yards on what he saw of action, it wasn't a lot. But for a guy that was about 155, 160 pounds when he started getting Power 5 football offers in high school, to get to this point, his first year on campus, not getting kind of dumped in the backfield or or brought down on first contact, uh, I think that is interesting. So, you know, looking at some other guys, because, you know, Slay, I think we spent a lot of time on Shorter, and I'm just as high as anyone on Justin Shorter when he came to campus, you know. I was kind of banging that drum on him being a five-star receiver before that designation was actually applied. And, and, and he's somebody who, you know, we've heard it, you know, injuries, injury was an issue for him, you know, coming out of, uh, of, of training camp. And I know people want the five-star status to equate toward immediate production. But when you look across college football and review some of these five stars, particularly at programs where there are five stars or blue chips ahead of them on the depth chart. We're not talking about Justin Shorter going to Maryland or Rutgers. We're talking about Justin Shorter uh, coming to a program where you thought that you had uh, some guys who were ready to take a step. Jawan Johnson, this time last year, was being projected as a first-round NFL pick. DeAndre Tompkins seems like he was ready to take that next step. Uh, You know, Some of those redshirt freshmen last year, Mac Hippenhammer, Cam Sullivan-Brown, fizzled out pretty quickly. So... I think it became more glaring that Justin Shorter wasn't involved when there were shortcomings at receiver overall, whereas if he had come to campus and other guys had held up their end of the bargain, then maybe that's not so much in focus right now. And it's also worth noting, 
a receiver change. You know, you had one receiver coach uh, targeting Justin Shorter as a recruit and Josh Gaddis. He gets to campus under the direction of David Corley. And then after his first season, he's now got Jared Parker to work with. And, and the same can be said for the other receivers there. But turning our attention away from Shorter, because I think it's fair to say he was kind of the next guy up out of that group. And I easily could have picked him over C.J. Thorpe. Um, Journey Brown is also in that backfield, and he's pushing Ricky Slade. We've heard that from J. Juan Sider. The difference between Journey Brown and really everybody else in this offensive backfield who's going to be on scholarship in 2019 is their background as a recruit. Journey Brown had incredible high school numbers in the state of Pennsylvania, uh, just outrageous totals and records that he put up. He was an uh, you know an all-American track performer, a guy that had Olympic level speed, won a, won a state championship, uh, won multiple state championships as a sprinter. But he was not the four five-star recruit that Ricky Slade was, that Devin Ford was, that Noah Kane was. If you want to even throw in a walk-on member of this group coming from Notre Dame, C.J. Holmes was the four-star prospect. So Journey Brown didn't have the, as much hype coming to campus, and, and I may have kind of been an, an afterthought a little bit with that 2018 recruiting class, uh, 2017 recruiting class, I should say. Uh, but to me, uh, he is someone who looks a lot different physically than when we first saw him on campus in 2017. And additionally, J1 Sider, James Franklin, the other running backs in that room, say the pieces have come together for Journey Brown as he made that transition from a straight-line world-class sprinter to a nuanced running back. Yeah, he, I mean, he broke Leroy Burrell's 100-meter <laughs> record in, in Pennsylvania, so that tells you all you need to know about his speed. But what we heard over and over again was the fact that he was the proverbial track guy playing football. And to me, he's got to get past that even further, and I think he will. We've gotten great reports, as you mentioned, from uh, from James Franklin and Jaywan Sider about how he's become that football player, but I'm not sure he's at the level of a Ricky Slade just yet, has the ability to get there. And if he puts it all together, look out, because his speed is is unlike – well, I shouldn't it, – it, it's – there's only even two backs probably who have had better speed than than that guy, and one of them was Kajana Carter, and the other was named Saquon something or another. Yeah, good company in that regard, and and Brown now listed at five foot eleven, two hundred and six pounds. So if you're thinking of some kind of wiry speedster, you know, erase that image. This is a kid who's really uh, filled out uh, from a physical frame standpoint. Uh, and Mark, I think receiver is just such an interesting spot to look at this year after what happened last year. Um, you know, the production was pretty abysmal. You look at, you know, the, the the receptions that were piled up by the guys who were returning, and there's just not much there. K.J. Hamler led the way with about 40 catches. I think Jahan Dotson, I didn't know where to stand on this one. I, he's someone who, I was like, is Jahan Dotson someone you can consider for a breakout or not? Because was last year his breakout? Was the second half of the season his breakout? Because you look at the stats, and he had 12, uh, 13 catches, 203 yards, and he had zero touchdowns. So Jahan Dotson still hasn't scored a touchdown in college. I'm kind of regretting not naming him as my breakout because I, I firmly believe that right now, as constructed, where guys are in their development, he is the second-best receiver in this group behind K.J. Hamler, and I think the targets are going to reflect that specifically early in the season. I would have mocked you for naming him a breakout player and not, <laughs> not, be, not because I don't expect him to play well. But because he started four games, he he caught like key fourth down passes against Iowa. It's he's he he's already there. He doesn't have to break out. We know Mark, we know that he's a good player. He broke out late last season. Mark, Mark, but Mark, he's never scored a touchdown in college football, right? And, and ever 
and uh, Jawan Johnson scored one touchdown in his whole career or something, <laughs> okay. wasn't it? And or was it two? I don't. What it did it end up being? It was a big one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So is he, he going to be the? Is Jawan Johnson going to be the breakout player at Oregon? Based on based on your logic, you you know I'm just having some fun, and that, that's part of the fun with this is that we can go back and forth. I I fully expect Jahan Dotson to to have a very good year, and um, the the one thing about him that we've heard is that he is a natural football player. He's just not a receiver. He he's a guy, and and, and you know because you cover the recruit the recruiting, he could really play anywhere, right? I mean, other than I don't think he could play quarterback. But he could be a def- He could play on either side of the ball. He can do a lot of things on special teams if you needed it. I'm not saying he's going to, but he's just a, a legit football player. And I think the more he plays, the better and better he's going to get. So I think he's going to have a good year. But I, I, I don't think you can call him a breakout player. Yeah, there were there are better athletes across that 2018 recruiting class at receiver, and, and I think you got a couple better athletes in Penn State's receiver class than Justin Shorter and Daniel George, but not a lot of guys across the country. Um, throughout their high school careers showed the kind of uh, route uh, technician kind of ability uh, that we saw from Jahan Dotson. That's something that has carried over for him. And and there's a reason that he was mentioned uh, so positively very early after getting to campus. And that was kind of surprised initially. I think at this point, Jahan Dotson, a lot of people are just kind of locking him in there as a starter, a set it and forget it situation. Again, that scares me a little bit because while he did get the starts, we still have to see it over a long stretch. And, and for me, the jury's just kind of out in general with this passing game. But I'm with you. I, I, I Personally, I, I did roll out Jahan Dotson as a breakout candidate. But there's a couple other receivers here, really three. Daniel George, another guy in that class, all he did last year was catch a 95-yard bomb uh, from Sean Clifford to set a record in Beaver Stadium against Kent State. That was really his only notable contribution uh, over the course of the season, though he did run routes in other games. Preserved his redshirt, though, like shorter. Uh, and then the two red shirt sophomore receivers, Mark, I don't know what to make of them. Uh, Mac Hippenhammer, we know he's he's focused on baseball this spring. He has every right to, to facilitate that passion for himself, but I, I don't know what it means for his progression in the Penn State offense with a, a new receivers coach and a second year uh, coordinator and, and a new starting quarterback. I, I'd have to imagine he loses some ground just from his absence. And then additionally, Cam Sullivan Brown, a guy who was in the transfer portal, was out of the transfer portal. For one reason or another, we didn't get a lot of looks at him this spring. So, uh, obviously, I steered away from, from those guys breaking out. But, boy, would that boost the situation for Penn State. Yeah, I think if Daniel George can maintain his yards per catch average of 56, he'll be in, in good shape. Uh, you know, the thing about Daniel George that jumps out to me is uh, just how impressive he is physically. I think he's listed at, what, 6'2", 225 pounds or something like that. And uh, obviously can run. We saw that in the, when he when he had that record-setting catch. And he's a guy who who people have mentioned in that thread who I would really I would most definitely keep an eye on him. And that's what. Listen, we're getting back to what I mentioned before, Tyler. That there are they have so many quality receivers there that they're young, but I think it's they're going to have to figure a way to spread that ball around. And um, it's a good problem to have. But really, developing experience among them is the key. But Daniel George, if if you've not seen him up close and personal, he's not as big as uh, Jawan Johnson or Justin Shorter. Justin Shorter is bigger than you can believe when you when you stand next to him. But he is really put together. Looks like he could play linebacker, doesn't he? I mean, he's just absolutely yeah. ripped and uh, a physical specimen. I I, I wonder. 
about Hippenhammer and how much it hurts, as you mentioned, playing baseball, and then you have all these young guys who are working with a with a first year position coach. How far behind are you going to fall, and can can you make that up? It's not as if he's coming in working for another year under the same coach and, and, and knows everything that's kind of going on. I think that's going to hurt him. And you mentioned it, Sullivan Brown. I, I, I have no idea what to make of him. I mean, we've barely seen anything of him as a player when he's played. They haven't really gone to him. Uh, when somebody goes into that transfer portal, you kind of scratch your head and then they come kind of come back out of it. Now I know Lamont Wade did that, but he's, he's another one of those dynamic personality guys who I think doesn't really care. So I, I honestly don't know what to make of Cam Sullivan Brown. Uh, the guy I would really to keep, keep an eye on out of that group would be Daniel George. Yeah. Sullivan Brown, one reception in the final six games. And then what a difference a year makes in terms of perception of your career trajectory, when it comes to Matt Kibbenhammer, he caught a couple touchdowns in the spring game last year in that blue-white matchup. Um, now we just don't really know exactly where he is at his development. And I think it's fair to say, and it's not necessarily surprising to say, because I sort of saw this come in last year, but I think those three redshirt, uh, redshirt freshman receivers uh, in Shorter and Dotson and George have leapfrogged the guys who were there before them uh, in, in Sullivan Brown. And Hippenhammer, of course, KJ Hamler was in Hippenhammer and Sullivan Brown's class. His career's on on the right track at this point. He's going to need to be a main component of this offense. But just so many questions at receiver. And oh, by let me throw one. Let me let, yeah. let me throw one more thing out there. We we are just to to tease this series a little bit. We are going to have a, a now or never segment mm. uh, for offense and defense. And what that means is players who really have to step up this preseason and this season or risk kind of, you know, things not working out for him. You know, it's it's always fun to, to look at the upside of it, and we never try to be overly negative or purposely negative, but I do think sometimes we have to take a realistic look at the roster and who are some guys who, okay, listen, you've been around, and, but but now you, you look at, at who's on the roster, you look at who's coming in, it's time mm-hmm. for, for some of these guys to really step up and just teasing it a little. I'm not going to give away who any of my picks might be, but some of those names may be involved that we've been kicking around, you know, in that receiver core. And, and we are going to be, uh, you know, breaking some of these roundtables down as they get published here on the podcast, whether it's Mark or, or of course, Sean, when he returns. Um, the other couple names I wanted to mention here. Mark, oh, and by the way, receiver, some some listeners out there are probably thinking, what about Austin Carr, or I'm sorry, Weston Carr, the Division II All-American that's going to be coming to campus soon? What about George Campbell, the former five-star recruit transferring in from Florida State? They would fall under that newcomer category to the team, not the breakout candidates, because I did see some people responding on the message boards to this particular subject and including those names. Those guys wouldn't be Penn State breakouts because they'd done nothing with Penn State. Um, but the two other names that that are, are kind of categorized differently here, Mark, are older guys. And, and they're certainly not in that now or never category. They've, they've firmed up their status. This is more of a positive thing where I think they could boom this year and become the breakout guys. But they're a little bit older than some of the others we talked about. Will Fries, to me, at right tackle, I thought he was going to take that step last year. If you had asked me last year about the breakout, he's a name that I would have seriously considered. 
Ultimately, he had trouble shaking off Chaz Wright to win the, the starting tackle job coming out of the gates last season. Ended up shifting positions from left tackle, uh, right tackle with Ryan Bates. Um, didn't ever fully understand or get an ex- explanation why that went down. But uh, Will Fries, I think that there's there's some questions that need to be answered. And if he can be a stabilizing force, a consistent guy, play with aggression and take that stride ahead, it's going to go a long way for him. Uh, and this offense, but if he is not playing at an all Big Ten caliber, I'm not talking about him being a first team all Big Ten guy, but one of the top 15 to 20 tackles in this conference. Um, and that's every game. That's just not this game, then the third game, and then the seventh game. Will Fries to me is a guy who. He's a breakout candidate, but um, you know that's kind of where I saw him last year more so. He's a breakout candidate who started how many games in his career? Man, you're killing me with this. But I will, I will give you this much, that I, I hope that for Will Fry's sake, they could put him in one spot and, and keep him there. You know, I think ideally, as you touched on, it would, be, it would be right tackle. And, you know, plant him there. Don't worry about moving him around. I think he's moved around enough in his career to, 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 this, to, to this point. And I think for his long-term development, it would be nice to see him uh, stabilize. People don't understand how – I know I'm, I'm – it's, it's, I shouldn't always say this because we get to be around these players sometimes, but he's a, a big human being who definitely has an NFL-type body in terms of you know, what, what, NFL, what NFL teams look for in offensive tackles, six foot six. I think he has pretty long arms. He's just, he's got, he's got some length to him, 320, 25 pounds, whatever it is. So the tools are there. I think finding a home and, and, and finding one spot and being able to stay there would be good for his development. Now, whether the, the Lime Grover, uh, Matt Lime Grover and the, uh, and the offensive line staff or the people who work with the O line and, and James Franklin, are able to have that luxury of keeping him in one spot, you know, we'll have to wait and see, but I do think that would be the best thing for him. Yeah. And, and I guess Mark, this is the, another fun part of this conversation because when I think breakout, I know you're thinking a guy who's going from the bench to the starting lineup. It sounds like yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking maybe an average starter who goes on to, to become an, an all big 10 player. I think that's also a breakout, you know, and kind of how I'm viewing it, but that, that's fine. We, we, we can kind of have different viewpoints because that leads me to my next point, and I don't want you to get mad at me here, but Nick Bowers, to me, is a guy who really put it together last season. Look, Pat Fryer is your starting tight end, but I think we're going to see more two tight end sets uh, than really th- than what people have become accustomed to, and we started to see them uh, with more frequency last year. Nick Bowers, and by the way, Sean Fitz also uh, made it really on the Nick Bowers bandwagon. We both said that we think he's an NFL draft pick if he stays healthy this season. Uh, but the point is, he's got seven career catches, and he's a fifth-year senior. I think he could double that total, maybe even triple that total this se- this season. I think a lot of that depends on how this passing game ends up being structured. Structured Where are the wide receivers? Because I think they've got at least two tight ends that they can put out there really any play they need. No, and I'm okay with that one because he's a guy who hasn't played a ton of football because he's been injured so much, and, and he was able to shake that off to a, to a, a, to an extent last season. And the key with him, I mean, he's a physical freak. Um, you know, he he runs extremely well. He's what 265, 270 pounds. Uh, he can do it all, and I agree. He's going to be an NFL draft pick if he can stay healthy. So that's the real key with Nick Bowers. But if if you have a one-two punch at tight end of uh, Fryermuth and Bowers, boy, that, that's a that's a nice place to to to, to kind of start and then kind of fill in uh, 
with the uh, Kuntzes and the Stranges and some of those other players uh, who, who who are down there. Uh, we still do we do we have any idea what to make of Jonathan Holland at this point? Or I mean, I guess he's still still on the roster, but I guess uh, we're not really. He may be he may really be a now or never guy. Yeah, Mark, I, I don't know. Last I saw Jonathan Holland, he was captured in a photo that you took outside of Beaver Stadium before the spring game, and he was with a bunch of guys who were alumni, and uh, he was not in the field in his uniform. So that's really the last – that's kind of where I left off with the Jonathan Holland uh, situation. Um, one guy who definitely won't be on any breakout possibility list this year because he did it last year, Etor Gross Matos. Uh, man, Mark, you and I and Sean have been – you know perusing a little bit around these early 2020 draft uh mock drafts i haven't been doing it so much anymore but i kind of did it like that week after the draft and i was startled by how many of these first round projections did not include gross matos um because i'm just wondering what people were looking at and obviously james franklin would love to have him for two more years but this is the kind of player at six foot five 265 pounds coming off a season in which he was just the 11th nittany lion to have 20 tackles for loss this is the kind of player that you expect to be gone and receiving an NFL paycheck after his junior year if he is healthy. Now, Mel Kuyper Jr. Uh, makes me feel a little less crazy because he has Etor Gross Matos at number six on his initial 2020 NFL draft big board, which was revealed on Thursday morning on ESPN.com. Uh, quickly, Mark, I just want to give uh, the, the top six here leading up to Gross Matos. Number one is actually Jerry Judy, the wide receiver from Alabama. Number two is Grant Delpit, safety from LSU. Number three, Chase Young, defensive end from Ohio State. Number four, Tua Tagovailoa, quarterback from Alabama. And number five, A.J. Epinesa, defensive end from Iowa. So three of those top six are Big Ten defensive ends. Uh, Penn State fans sure would love to forget uh, the memory of Chase Young burying Trace, uh, Miles Sanders in the backfield last year. That was a big splash play for him. I think you could probably still argue that from start to finish in Big Ten play that, that Gross Matos was more consistent, game in, game out. But Chase Young, A.J. Epinesa were both five-star recruits coming out of high school. I think that still kind of does something for your draft stock. With Gross Matos, though, he's right where he belongs in the conversation as one of the very best players who could potentially be drafted in 2020. Yeah, it's always fun to look at these mock drafts. And I think I may have – I don't know if I mentioned it to, to you and Sean, but it's like – Anyone that I saw that didn't have Etor in in the first round, I just basically said dis disregarded it. You know, <laughs> I know that the, I know that these guys. That's a tough. It's a very difficult thing to put those together this early in the process. But I I don't know what other tools you need to see from somebody number one, and that he's six foot five or six foot six and two hundred sixty five pounds, size eighteen shoes. Uh, runs extremely well, I think under four, right around four seven in the forty for that size. Uh, Mark, it, Mark, four five two was the number we got from Sean Spencer. There you go. And then you well, on the big board, I think it was still four seven something. So if he's got even faster, and then there's on-field production to go along with it. So it's not as if you're just doing this based on measurables. You know, the twenty tackles for losses, all the sacks. Um, I, I, I just don't know how anybody was, was taking a realistic look at this. And it's not as if he's at, at a, a program that's hidden. I mean, Penn State's on national TV all the time. So he is, if he stays healthy and knock on wood, uh, he is going to be a first-round draft pick, and he's going to make an awful lot of money. I think the other thing that people don't talk enough about with him 
is that he has the ability in 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 pass pass rush situations, obvious obvious passing situations. He could slide inside and play mm-hmm. D tackle, you know, three technique or whatever if he if he needs to. He can play. I, I fully believe that he could drop into coverage if if need be. I'm not saying he's going to be you know as good as some of the great coverage linebackers, but I think he could fit into any offensive package and, or any defensive scheme in the NFL. He's he's a versatile player. He's athletic. He's smart. He has all this stuff going for him, and I think he's definitely going to be a first-round pick. And I think enjoy it this year, folks, because, again, knock on wood, everybody hope hope this guy stays healthy because he's going to be a high pick and make a lot of money. A scheme versatility is no joke when you talk about the talent evaluators in the NFL and, and how it can boost someone's stock. And he's got that, and you look at what Gross Matos has done since he showed up in, on campus as a four-star prospect out of Virginia in 2017. He was the only lineman on either side of the football to, tr- to play as a true freshman in 2017, one of only three true freshmen overall who saw game action last year stepping in that starting role, and, and he showed you exactly why Sean Spencer in August was telling us what could be and now uh, as we speak with Sean Spencer again back in April, he says, you know, it's it's just continues to sustain on that momentum. And one thing that I think stands out here, not just the, that NFL talent evaluators are going to love, but why people should appreciate Etor Gross Matos and uh, his time here in Happy Valley is that he has drawn comparisons to Saquon Barkley in terms of an eventual potential top NFL draft prospect who has all that uh, at the accolades around him and he's going to keep getting attention and everyone's going to want to talk about him, but he shows up to work like he's a walk-on every single day. And I know that's going to sound like some hyperbole, but coaches don't just say that um, and and teammates don't just say that. I think with about, when it comes to Gross Matos, uh, he is somebody who has, you know, kind of just been the same player he was when he showed up to campus. And that's important, I think, especially when you talk about making that leap from a breakout year in 2018 to where he's going to have a ton of attention. Let's face it, he's going to be a vocal point for 12 college football coaches when they study up Penn State's defense this year and they're preparing this offseason. They're going to want to figure out how to contain number 99. That is different than, than what they were doing planning for Penn State last year. So we'll see how we adjust to that. Um, moving on, Mark, a different topic here from, from one current Penn State defensive lineman uh, to one that Penn State would certainly uh, be interested in bringing into the fold in 2020. Uh, Isaiah Rakes, uh, narrowing his list down to six schools. I wanted to mention this because it, it happened on, on Wednesday night. It was his birthday, uh, and he thought that was a good time to come out with uh, six finalists. He's got Penn State in there. He told us uh, last month that Penn State would be firmly in the mix, along with Duke, Northwestern, Oregon, Temple, and Texas A&M. Uh, the, I'd say the team there that to certainly keep an eye on, uh, not Penn State, is Texas A&M. Fadil Diggs, uh, also out of New Jersey, uh, committing to Texas A&M just a couple of weeks ago. Those two are very close. Last time uh, they were on campus, they were on campus together in April. Uh, so Isaiah Rakes, uh, you know, Texas A&M offered him during a visit last month. Seems to be the team that, that people think he could end up with. Uh, but I think Penn State's still in a good spot. Would expect he'll get back to campus before any decision is made. Um, again, out of St. Augustine Prep in New Jersey. Um, on the recruiting trail as well, we talked about some of the bigger dates coming up. Lift for Life. We know Lash Bash is in July. The camp's in June. Um, there's a there's a decently sized 
recruiting endeavor going on this Saturday. I don't want to say it's a huge event because it's a pretty humble list based on what uh, Lions 24-7 has confirmed. And Sean Fitz has, has been working the phones a bit to, to make sure we're aware of who's going to be on campus. Some of those confirmed uh, – 2021 offensive tackles that, as I mentioned uh, in our most recent show, I'm really high on. Landon Tengwall, Tristan Lee, uh, both of those guys are considered four-star tackle prospects in the 2021 class. Lee uh, out of Virginia, Tengwall out of Maryland. Uh, both of them really like how things are training with Penn State. Both of them have plenty of options elsewhere. And, and for me, I particularly look at Tengwall here. He has taken several visits to Penn State. He was the first offensive lineman to pick up a scholarship from the Nittany Lions in this class. And right now he is pretty much done, I think, with the fact-finding process of his recruitment. I think now he wants to find the separating factors. Michigan, Notre Dame, Penn State seem to be the top contenders. He wants to cut things down to true finalists. I didn't say two. I said true finalists. He doesn't want to do a thing where it's 10 schools because he likes some of them. He wants to legitimately cut this down to, to as low as three, and, and I would say maybe as many as five or six teams that he could see himself at. Penn State's going to be on that list. This is another opportunity for the Nittany Lions to show him uh, why that should be the case. Um, also on hey, campus... Let me make, Tyler, let me yeah. make a comment on, the, on Tangwell. Um, yeah. Because I, I was actually at Penn State's team camp 2017, right? When he was, was an eighth year? grader. Yeah. yeah he, he was, <laughs> he was, I know what you're talking about. He turned a lot of heads. Yeah. He, he was in eighth grade, and um, intern Grace Brennan was there shooting with us, and she was in ninth grade uh, shoot, shooting photos. And I, I walked over. So for people who don't know how it works, the seven-on-seven uh, the seven aspect goes on on the IM fields. All, most of it's on the IM fields. And the offensive and defensive line challenges are at the fields next to Haluba and Lash, the, the practice fields. And the O-linemen were working out down on the uh, artificial turf surface. And it had to be, you know, 130 degrees coming off of that turf. And I walked down there and I saw a former Penn State staffer who was, who was at a different school. And it's very difficult to tell – you can tell body wise who the good offensive linemen are, but like technique and stuff, I'm I'm just not good at that. Seeing it at camps, so I went to this this person and said, "Hey, who should I be looking out for here?" And he just smiles and points at Landon, and he said, "That kid." He goes, "You're not going to believe this. He's only in eighth grade," and he was like, "The kid was over 300 pounds at that point," and I ended up talking. I ended up talking to him via via instant message or twitter or something and i think i w did one of the first interviews but he was an impressive kid then and i could only imagine how much more impressive he's become so i wanted to give a little backstory that penn state this guy this kid knows a lot about penn state and he's been around the penn state program for a long time made has made multiple visits right so yeah i mean he's yeah. he, he's one to really keep an eye on yeah, that was uh, and two years ago, as you mentioned. It was actually the same day that Penn State offered Julian Fleming to kind of reflect how long ago that was. And here Tengwall is now considered the number five offensive tackle in the country. He's a guy that I think is, is going to be a five-star when it's all said and done and get that designation. Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, Ohio State, all on that offer sheet. But I'll tell you what, that early start with Penn State, that could make a difference at the end of things as he assesses um, – don't think we're going to get a decision from Tang Wall until 2020. But again, he will be on campus. One of the two 
top flight 2021 tackles along with Tristan Lee. Also in that 2021 class out of Southern New Jersey, Winslow Township High School's cornerback Jalen Cheek, uh, who has an offer from Penn State as well. And then in the 2020 class, a couple names to know who also holds scholarship offers. A recent tight end target, Joe Royer out of uh, Cincinnati. Sean Fitz reporting that he will be on campus. Uh, additionally, Sean Martin, a defensive end in the 2020 class um, from Bluefield, West Virginia. He attends the same school as top-ranked 2021 cornerback Isaiah Johnson, another Nittany Lions target. So some names to know there, and the staff will be uh, have some company and have some support in terms of doing some recruiting on campus. Uh, commitments confirmed to be in attendance uh, on Saturday. Curtis Jacobs, linebacker, offensive lineman Nick Dawkins, and offensive lineman Grant Tutant. Sean Fitz also sharing that Tutant's younger brother is going to be participating in a youth camp going on uh, in Happy Valley. So, uh, you know, a lot going on this weekend. But as I said, it's it's not one of those 40 to 50 name lists that, that kind of just drive you crazy. And we'll certainly um, do our best to, to catch up with these players after they spend time on campus uh, and let you know what the fallout may be. I think they try to avoid those 50 name lists anymore for junior days just because they want to be able to give the amount of attention that's necessary. Hasn't James Franklin said that to the kids who actually come? It's not, you know, obviously you have to do it for the blue-white game and other times, but I think trying to keep it at a manageable level is not necessarily a bad thing that you can give the kids the attention that they need while they're here and their families when they come. Yeah, and there's a big weekend coming up in June, and there's another big weekend coming up in July where you're going to see longer list of, of some impressive prospects and some well-known names coming to campus. And in the past, we've seen Penn State make strides towards commitments or, or go out and get commitments at those kind of events. But uh, this is just uh, one of those early summer, late spring uh, notes to, to keep in mind. Penn State also offering another quarterback in the 2021 class. And, and I know uh, some people – aren't really ready to, to start talking or hearing about 2020, 2021 recruits easier said than done as well. But I think with these quarterbacks, you got to start looking early. It's very clear that, that the, as early as you can get a quarterback on as a building block in your class, it's going to help you recruit other players. It's going to help you attract other wide receivers. Uh, it, it's a big deal. Uh, and you don't want to go down the stretch, not knowing what you're doing at that position, especially at the rate that quarterbacks are transferring away from rosters across college football, Penn State included. So the new offer, the new target to note, Garrett Nussmeyer. Um, he is out of the state of Texas. He's a player who has a double-digit offer total already. He was a first-year starter at quarterback last year. 12 touchdowns, 5 interceptions, about 1,500 passing yards. Numbers aren't going to blow you away, but he was playing at a high level of Texas football um, and he was also, again, a first-year guy as a sophomore. I think you know he, the way he phrased it to me is he wants to triple those numbers this year as a junior. And when you talk about young quarterbacks, there's a lot to get excited about this kid beyond the stat sheet. His father, Doug Nussmeyer, currently on the Dallas Cowboys coaching staff, but he's a name that you probably know if you follow college football. He's been the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at several schools, Michigan State, um, LSU, Florida, uh, he has been a longtime Power Five staple, a guy who's who's been around uh, a lot of programs over the years, and he played quarterback himself at Idaho and then in the NFL for five seasons. So we're talking about the son of a quarterback, the son of a coaching mind. Uh, that is enticing to me, and Penn State certainly sees it. They offer it out, and I've posed this question before, Mark, uh, to Sean. Um, I think we're going to start seeing two quarterback classes become more prevalent across college football. They're usually known as a rarity because the, the common thought is 
you're already setting the stage for one of those guys to transfer. Yep. My my thinking is the way the NCAA is structured right now, and and I don't know how they're gonna you know put the toothpaste back in the bottle as they say or, or whatever. Um, I I don't know how they're gonna remedy this, and if they don't, I think you need to prepare for exodus at that quarterback position on an annual basis. And you kind of just got to embrace that and say, you know, we're going to take two quarterbacks with greater frequency. I'm not saying bringing a kid you're not sold on just to have a body on camp. That's why you have walk-on quarterbacks and you take your shot there. But I do think Penn State, along with everybody else across college football, should be taking a longer look at the possibilities of bringing in two passers on almost an annual basis. And we know that despite the commitment of Micah Bowens in the 2020 class, the kid out of Bishop Gorman in high school in Las Vegas, Penn State staff still doing their diligence with other options at the position. Yeah, well, where where would Penn State be right now if it didn't bring in two quarterbacks in the most recent class? And Penn State was fortunate enough to have both kids enroll early and go through spring practice. Otherwise, you would have been looking at a third-team QB, QB who was either a walk-on or a, a, a quarterback who arrived, you know, in in June. So yeah, I mean, I think there's no greater example than Penn State's most recent recruiting class and what happened with the with the position where everybody thinks, oh, well, yeah, Tommy Stevens, he's definitely going to be here. You know, he's made it through the spring, and, you know, you see what happens. You have to do it. You have to protect yourself. And it's, it's you know, it's really – it's kind of a shame. But as you said, it's, it's the situation that the NCAA has set up with allowing kids to transfer so easily and – you know, it's it's going to I mean, and then the other end of it that you're going to see is it's just going to become a matter of musical quarterbacks where, you know, one guy goes one place. Tate Martell goes to Miami. And then who goes to Ohio State? And, you know, who goes to Michigan? And so it's it's going to be crazy to watch. But you're going to have to it's you almost have to look at it like commodities. You have to have enough chips at quarterback to be able to play. And then. Yeah, we're a month removed from from Tommy Stevens leaving, and he still doesn't know where he's going to be playing college football. So it's a tricky situation for everybody. Um, though, just just my two cents there. I think we're going to start to see uh, two quarterback classes just get a little bit more love. But 2021 right now, which is what led to this conversation, uh, there's a new name to know: Kyle McCord, who was an early target for Penn State out of Philadelphia, St. Joe's, committing to Ohio State very recently and a name that we've told you uh, repeatedly to know Caleb Williams viewing him as the priority target out of uh, Washington DC. But here's another name on that target board. So we're going to have a online 24 seven. It probably will be up by the time you're listening to this podcast, a mid month offer recap because they've been flying around the country as we've come to expect. And it is that time of year with spring evaluation, uh, a few new offers to report um, out of Florida. And I know people are always, you know, kind of more intrigued than ever about that because uh, the evidence is starting to mount up that, that Penn State has momentum in the Sunshine State with some of their signings, some of the guys who who they kind of at least turned the attention to and, and brought on campus, even if they didn't sign them. Jaywan Sider has been at the forefront of this and, and him and Jared Parker, the receivers coach down in F- South Florida this week, uh, you know, bouncing around some different high schools. Uh, making sure that the Penn State presence is felt. And new offers, Deerfield Beach, uh, 2021 wide receiver Jamarian McDougal. Uh, McDougal, I spoke with him on Thursday morning. He is the nephew of a couple former first-round NFL draft picks, Jerome McDougal, a defensive end who played for the Miami Hurricanes and the Philadelphia Eagles, and then Stocker McDougal, an offensive tackle who played for the Oklahoma Sooners and was a first-round pick of the Detroit Lions. Uh, and now here comes the the sophomore receiver, soon-to-be junior receiver at Deerfield Beach, 
Jamarian. Um, he's a guy who only had 10 catches last year, but he was playing in Florida's uh, highest class, and, and he was also playing for a team that was loaded with talent. Has a 2,000-yard rusher in Jalen Knighton, who Penn State's targeting. Very heavy on the ground game, but he's another name to know. And then 2021 running back, Brashard Smith out of Miami Palmetto High School. Uh, this is another one of those uh, all-purpose kind of backs. So you just want to get to the edge and let him turn the corner, get the ball in his hands in space as a receiver. Uh, another kind of interesting kid that we hope to speak with soon. And then one other offer to get to out of Pennsylvania. Uh, and I know, you know, we've talked about it a lot. The 2021 class is at a different caliber in terms of how they're being evaluated by the Nittany Lions staff. Uh, this is offer number eight in Pennsylvania for the 2021 class going to Shafiq Smith out of Imhotep Institute down in Philadelphia. Um, and, and this is uh, uh, the latest in the trend, as I said, eight guys who are high school sophomores right now in the state of Pennsylvania have a Penn state scholarship offer in the 2019 class. Only five Pennsylvania high school players received a Penn state offer. And one of those went out on the night before the signing day uh, to Daquan Hardy. So it was very nearly four offers sent out to high school high school seniors uh, in the last class. And and we're seeing this class just halfway through their high school career, you know, really, really attract Penn State's attention. And Mark, we talked about, a lot about casting a wide net and, and South Florida and, and Texas and New England and even some guys in California and Georgia and, and DMV area. But you always got to make sure you take care of business in Pennsylvania. And I think that's that's a good sign that the staff has seen so many offer worthy guys this early in their career. When you compare it to where things were 2019 class, 2020 class, where less offer totals were established in a, a, a far more time. You got to go back to the 2018 class with, with Micah Parsons and, and Zach Koontz. Um, really, that's a that's a two year gap where you're not getting as much as you would hope for from your home state. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all about the foundation, right, isn't it? I mean, uh, James Franklin has said it over and over again that, uh, yeah, it's great to be able to go to all these other places and and, and get recruits and, and have done a great job of expanding that net, as you've said, but it's much easier to keep this, you know, to keep kids home and have, uh, you know, do it from that perspective, so. We got a breaking commitment calling into Mark yeah, uh, at no, the moment. Not- Nothing breaking. Okay. No. Well, <laughs> sorry about that. No, oh, no, all good. This is this is live podcasting. This is uh, not possible to stop and that was an actually actual, that was my landline. Which <laughs> can you even believe? I, number one, do you believe I still have a landline? What is that? And number I, two, <laughs> I can't believe somebody actually called it. I don't know when the last time somebody has called that landline was. So let me unplug it now, so they so somebody doesn't call right back. Well, it's probably a good time to unplug this episode of the podcast. One other note, and and I would love to hear just something from Mark on this because I've never met the guy, but uh, John Herschel, uh, former two-time All-Big Ten offensive lineman who has gone on to do uh, some great things beyond the football field. He's currently working towards his doctorate at MIT, a prestigious school. He got a, two master's degrees at Penn State during his time as a football player as well um, in, in mathematics and mathematics education. And, and I have to say, Mark, he's releasing a book this week. He's been on a tour. Uh, he's on the Today Show. He's been on a, a bunch of media outlets. And, and it just dawned on me we should try to get him on the podcast to talk about it. Uh, but John Herschel is a guy who, w- with this book that he co-wrote with his wife called Mind and Matter, A Life in Math and Football, not only did this book uh, get released on Tuesday, but then he went on a three or four tweet message post about the influence of Penn State in getting into this point. If there is not a better 
you know, living, breathing advertisement of what James Franklin wants to sell. And I know he didn't recruit Urschel and, and, and all that, but it, you want to sell the academic and athletic balance. And, and boy, for Penn State as a university, for a culture, for a community, for a football program, to be able to point to this guy and showing his pride as a Nittany Lion, I think that's just a, a, a kind of a built-in boost for this for this community. Yeah, I remember the first time I ever talked to John Urschel was I think Penn State played Indiana. Was it in D.C.? Um, and and we talked to him after the game, and he was just kind of shy and reserved. And he he was he never wasn't he still isn't I don't think the most outspoken guy. But the more you talk to him you started to realize that there's something a little different about this cat. I mean, in a good way that he was super smart. So in one sense, I'm a little intimidated by this book. I, I'm, I'm worried that if I start reading it, I'm not going to understand what he's talking about, but I assume his wife uh, will translate it into, you know, stuff that normal people can, can understand. But absolutely. You think about when John Urschel was, was with this program and that he stuck with the program through the most difficult times and to, to 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 come out now while he's talking about this book and say what an influence Penn State had on him, yeah, just it's obviously as you said one of the really great goodwill ambassadors or you know ambassadors overall for Penn State football and you know another example of a guy from the Buffalo area who I think was a three star recruit, you know was, was looking at Ivy League schools. Penn State convinced him to come here. What a find it was for Penn State because he was a tremendous football player. Uh, obviously could have had a very long NFL career had he chosen to do so, but he obviously, <laughs> you're talking about a, a super smart guy who has bigger things than football, which is pretty cool to see. Yeah, he, he could have been a long-term starter, too deep guy in yeah. the NFL. I, I think the projection that I just saw, he made about $1.8 million in his three years with the Baltimore Ravens, but he could be a superstar in the mathematics field based on everyone who understands what the mathematics field is. Now, you're talking to a, a journalist who went this route for a reason because I couldn't find a way to make money doing mathematics, and I couldn't find a way to, to get B-pluses or C-pluses doing mathematics in high school. So it's out of my realm, but I think it's just amazing to, to show someone has that kind of ability to go from one end of the spectrum to the other and, and really do it with humility. So you well, know, one, other thing, one quick thing, Tyler. I mean, the, the, listen, we all know the story and Penn State football fans know the story, and and a lot of football fans in general know the story because when he was with the Ravens, uh, it got publicity, publicity in a lot of different places. What this is doing is opening up the world of John Urschel to the general public, and for him to to kind of use that not only as a vehicle to promote himself, and and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that in his book. I mean, because that's the idea of going and doing these things, but to also promote Penn State, I think it speaks to his character that it's not just about him. He's always looking big picture and looking out for his alma mater. So it's it's pretty cool to see from John Herschel. And hopefully we'll get a chance to maybe have him do some promoting on this show down the line. We'll see. We'll do some reach out, see if we can't set something like that up. Um, that's going to be it for this episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast. I want to thank Mark for being on with us. Um, Sean will be back uh, for the next edition, and we'll continue our roundtable series. Of course, right now on Lions 24-7, go check out uh, our offensive breakout uh, breakdown. Uh, we just did it here on the podcast, but uh, there as well. More thoughts from Sean on, on Clifford there as well, and we'll continue that 
Additionally, as I mentioned, Saturday, fairly significant recruiting day on campus. Uh, anything happens, breaks during the weekend, uh, turn to us for that as well. Uh, for now, Mark, before we head out, anything uh, you'd like to say? No, hey, just thanks for having me. Always always enjoy doing this uh, when, when Sean's not around or if you're not around, and we definitely have to do it more often. And definitely looking, fun, looking forward to having fun with these breakouts. People already seem to be liking them, so stay tuned. We have a bunch of ideas, and we're going to have a lot of fun with it over the next few weeks. Happy to say this guy got the number one pick for the defensive breakout. So that's next, uh, and we'll bring it all to you here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. For Mark Brennan, Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz, and our great team, uh, wishing you all the best. We'll talk.